All right, what's up? Welcome back to Thick Radio. This is my third episode. It's getting a little more comfortable now. Um, I'm excited to be back. If you're listening to this, I really appreciate it. And I'm here with Nate Witt. Yes. And call me Nate. Um, this is my first podcast as well. So it's honestly surreal. Um, I just love having conversations with, with my friends and being able to record them and hopefully give some insight onto my viewpoints. That's a big thing. The big reason that I wanted to have Nate on. So me and Nate live together. We've been friends for a couple of years. We went to school together. Um, and we're super, super similar in the way we think and kind of even our lives, just the things we've been through. And there's very few people that I have such high quality conversations with. So I can't really think of a better guest other than yourself to have on. Um, and I've been looking forward yeah. to this. So one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about, and we've kind of touched on a little bit, um, and you mentioned as one of your talking points you're interested in right now is sports psychology. Absolutely. Um, and first, first I want you to give people a little background about you and kind of about your sports history, mm -hmm. and then we can dive into the psychology around that. For sure. I uh, well, grew up an athlete. Again, sports ran in my family. Uh, started playing hockey at a very young age. Um, Everything from AAA to AA, going from till I was about 18 years old. Then I started playing baseball um, from, again, 10 to 20 years old. And the biggest thing was is there was constant that, constantly that um, goal in the back of my head to, of course, turn pro. You know what I mean? It's kind of a very socially acceptable goal. Going to the show, goal. baby. <laughs> very socially acceptable goal that uh, you can kind of tell your friends and it's, and it's very acceptable and it's very looked up on, you know? Uh, and so that's what I always thought that I wanted to do, even though that was never really um, my choice. I, I, when I look back on it now, I go, I was never meant to be an athlete, right? I grew a lot, I gained a lot of value and learned a lot of things being an athlete. Um, Why do you say that though, that you were never meant to be an athlete? What do you mean? Um, I was just, I was not in love with the day to day. I wasn't mm. in love with the grind. Like when I compare it to fitness now, it was all about the um, extra external uh, advantages that I got. Being able to tell people that I was an athlete. My, I had an easy identity. It was, like I said, very socially accepted. Mm -hmm. But in terms of loving, again, grinding and proving on a day-to-day -day basis, uh, I just didn't fall in love with the day-to-day, -day, if that mm -hmm. makes sense. That's it. You mentioned identity, and that's a yes. huge thing with sports. We've talked about this before. Mm -hmm. Like, why... Just people in their 20s in general go through identity crisis like every other month yes. almost. But athletes go through probably one of the most yes. profound identity crises that like anybody will go through. Because imagine going through your entire life like just being... You're an athlete and that's your whole thing. Like everybody yes. praises you for that. It's like, you, like you play this, I yes. do this. And it's like, oh, what do you do? It's like, oh, I'm a football player. I'm a baseball player. 100%. And then, and even, even if you go to like the second, like the next level after yes. high school, you're playing a college sport, but you don't make it past that. Mm -hmm. At that age, that's so hard. That's so incredibly exactly. hard. You're young twenties yes. and you're telling me that I no longer know who I am. Like mm -hmm. the... The amount of like the amount of stress that probably puts on people is horrible. And when I look back, and this is one of the biggest things I want to talk about today, is just your definition of success, right? Because when I look at my definition of success was back in the day when I was an adolescent, was I had to be the best of the best. Yeah. Right? And when when I start to think back on it, 
And I kind of wish I, I didn't have that. Because at the end of the day, if everybody's special, nobody's special. Mm -hmm. And it takes one, like only 1% of people are in pro sports. That's it. 1%. There's so many that believe that they can get it and, and they fail. Is that true? Like 1% across all... Is that a statistic or is that something? <laughs> <laughs> honestly, honestly, just... Okay, so he's lying to yes, us and we're four and a half we're minutes in. There. That's I'm, fine. I'm full of shit, people. Um, it, again, I know, I know what you're saying. It's just a general statement. You it's, know what yeah, I mean? Especially it, like, it, might, it might be even over-exaggerating. It's gonna, most likely way, way lower well, that's than That's why I said that because I was like, when yes. you said that, I was like, dude, yes. like, it's probably way I would say, I would say like 1% of athletes, if that makes sense. And 1% of like each sport. It's exactly. Like every kid exactly. that's ever played football. Not for, not one percent of the population. No, no, not no. a chance. I see what you're saying. Um, and what I, I just feel like everyone's definition of success is different, and I feel if balance is one of the keys to life. And when we talk about uh, values and the difference between happiness and success, to me, when I look at special athletes, right, that dedicate so much of their life to the sport. We, as a society, we look up to them so much, right? Because we think they have it all figured out. And if you dive deep into the research, listen to podcasts, a lot of the times it couldn't be further from the truth. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying they don't love what they do. But we, I always think of, we all have values and I always think of it like a pie chart, right? And everybody's is different. If you want to be special at one thing, you want to be that 1%, your pie chart needs to be minimum 90% that one thing. Mm -hmm. And here's the thing. What happens if you take away, if that one thing goes away, you get injured, mm -hmm. right? You're, uh, you're too old to play the sport anymore. What happens to your identity? That's 90% of your identity that goes. And I think one of the biggest advice I would have for me back in the day is, it's okay to be balanced. It's okay to be... Try not to hit the table. It's going to fuck up. Keep <laughs> Sorry, going. you're good. Um, you're good. You're good. It's okay to be balanced in your lifestyle. It's, it's okay to not be special at everything. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, and just be well-rounded. I know... And that's not fancy, right? That's not... It's not gonna, sexy. Yeah. It's, exactly. That's not going to buy people. Well, so to pl I completely agree 100% because there's a thing that talk I was talking to you about this the other day, but Tiger Woods, if you, Tiger Woods is a perfect example. If you want to be the greatest golfer in the world, you yes. need to recognize what that takes. And a lot of people think, oh, hours on the golf course. No, it was abuse exactly. from his father. Exactly. It was, it was abuse from his father. Yeah. So there's, yes. it's, it's not just the time to be on the court. There's thousands of athletes, millions of athletes that love putting time mm -hmm. into their sport. 100%. Growing up, Tiger Woods and his dad had a safe word. They literally had a. Yeah, you were telling me they that. literally had a safe word to stop. To st he would racially abuse Tiger, and he would say, "These white people will never respect you. You will never be allowed to play mm -hmm. on these courses." And he would literally abuse his son. Yeah, he became the greatest golfer yes. probably of all time. Yes, I wouldn't trade lives with him. It's he also much? he also had one of the most public divorces, and he had a DUI, and everybody's on him, and he was on magazines saying he slept with eighteen whores and all of this stuff. Exactly. Would I want to trade lives with him? Probably not. Exactly right, and it's how much you sacrifice, right? Because, like I said, if you have ninety percent of that pie chart filled with one sport, you only got ten percent left. Mm -hmm. We have relationships, right? We have fa like families in relationships. We have hobbies. Again social life, all these things have to uh, be taken away in order for that one sport. And it's okay to prioritize, again, relationships more than anything. 
or hobbies or again, it's your values. You get to choose, but, um, same, same could be said. It's okay to only value your sport. Exactly. A hundred percent that, but the key is it's everyone needs to have their own definition of their own success. Right. And again, I don't mean to bash on professional athletes, right? But it's just a good example. Yeah. It's just a great example, like you said. Yeah. But to pretend like they're the best fathers on the planet, I'm sorry. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. They're away from their kids a majority of the time. It's impossible to be the best father. Oh my God. It's impossible to have that be your main value in life. And um, yeah, like I said, it's, it's about your definition of success. Yeah, and especially because like, I think it comes back to like, if you're the greatest athlete of all time, it's like, it's super attractive from societal standards. Like, Oh, you're going to have money. You're going to have fame. You're going to have girls. You're going to have all of these great things. And society makes it seem like that's so beautiful because society values superficial things. But if you actually want to look into what fulfills you, and it's not to say somebody can't be fully fulfilled from just a sport. Everybody's different. Mm -hmm. Majority of people will not be fully fulfilled and fully happy from dedicating their entire life to one thing and having their friendships, relationships, kids, work, everything else suffer. Well, they're not willing to sacrifice it. Oh, you want to go to the club on Saturday. Yeah, there's exactly. a guy that's not exactly, and he's yeah. like it's little. That's such a good point, right? Yeah. He, and he's not. He's sacrificing his social life. Do the things. I remember this quote from a friend of mine in high school. Do the things today that others yes. won't, so tomorrow you exactly. can have what they don't deserve. And tell your friends. Have the ability to tell your friends that I don't want to spend. I'm not going to be able to spend a lot of time with you. Because I have to focus on my sport. For sure, man. Like little stuff like that, it adds up. And there's only a, a certain few that are so determined and are so motivated to sacrifice everything else, right? Um, and it doesn't, here's the thing. It doesn't mean that you can't be great at whatever you choose to do. Um, it, it just means you have to make the most with your time. And you can still be balanced and still be very successful in business mm-hmm. and still have a very, very good relationship and have hobbies on the side. What it breaks down to, to me is how are you um, managing your time? Are you using your time to the fullest in the way you want to be? Yeah. Me and Ben were talking about that today. Time mm-hmm. is wealth. People 100%. think it, the thing where – so the research on money and happiness is that up to 70 – around seventy to $100,000 a year – does improve happiness across all boards because it pays you don't have to worry about bills you don't have to worry about being able to make your car payments you don't you can buy something nice you can go on a trip that makes you actually legitimately happier Mm -hmm. the one thing that money also indirectly creates happiness is because it buys you time yes and it buys you opportunities to spend time the way you want to do things and that's super super valuable but at the same time, like just because you've bought time doesn't mean you're spending it well. And you need, if you have extra time, mm-hmm. you need to recognize, okay, these are my values. This is what makes me happy. And that's really our whole goal in life is just to be happy. This is what makes me happy. What are the things that I can do throughout my day, throughout my week that are going to improve my happiness? Like, Absolutely. And it, it 100% comes back to that. So yeah, I think it's, it's interesting. It's, it's the perfect example of the guy that just grinds at a business or a labor job for 10 years in order to go on vacation and buy a fancy car. Mm -hmm. It's like, is that worth your time? For some people, maybe, and that's their choice. But it comes back to the self-awareness of questioning your values and intentions, 
right? And not allowing other people's values to impact your decisions on how you want to spend your time. Mm -hmm. What was the greatest outcome of your history with sports and growing up as an athlete for you? Greatest outcome? What was the be- what was the sorry that was a bad way to put it. What was the most valuable lesson you learned from growing up as an athlete and from your history with sports? Um, nothing's ever given to you. Once you get to a high enough level That's of sports, valuable, yeah. um, politics goes out the fucking door, right? Um, at the end of the day, they don't care about where you're from, who you are. They want to win, and they're gonna put the best people on the field. Mm-hmm. And if you're not good enough, you can cry to your mom or cry to your people. It's not going to do anything about it. What you need to do is control what you can control and put in more work than the guy beside you. And good things will happen then. Super powerful. Yeah. Yes. That's one thing that sports and fitness, like in general, yes. I've written an article like on my website called, and I know you've written about this too. Mm-hmm. Like fitness is a blueprint for success Huge. in everything. And so are sports for yes. exactly like what you just said. You have a goal, and the only way you reach that goal is by putting in the work necessary yes. and setting small goals along the way, and you are only accountable to yourself. It mm-hmm. does not matter who else is in your corner. Personal trainers can help, but if you go home and you crush a 1,000 calories that you're not supposed to, that's on you. If you go home and you're not working on your swing to get better at ba- when you go to batting practice yes. next week, that's on you. Nobody can hold your fucking hand. And that is something that I see is so wrong with our generation and the generation younger than us is so much of us will not put in the work to reach a goal. Like we are not, we do not have the discipline. We do not have the drive. We do not have values to get there. And, but you see the difference in the kids that grew up playing sports and the kids that did in terms of that, because they learned at a young age, if I don't do this, I will not get the goal that I want. Yes. And it's really interesting you said that because the first thing that comes to mind is parenting styles in the in the low 2000s and late 1900s or ni- sure. 1990s. Right? Late 1800s. <laughs> the stone. <laughs> yeah. um, and what happened was, of course, the mental health crisis started. All of a sudden, people started to get really sad. And it was the first time in human history where we had everything that we needed to survive. In, when you compare it to, like, again, world wars, et cetera, the, the early 1900s. And yet more people were sad than ever, mm-hmm. ever, right? So they were doing studies. How do we make sure kids feel more confident? And the, their first thing that comes to mind is, let's pretend like they're special. Yeah, give them a gold star. Participation yes. ribbons. And that's where the participation ribbon came to play. And that's, and it's funny, it it comes back to, um, not having to be special in terms of like our values and our, and our way of success is we think if everybody's special, nobody's special. Well, it's, here's the thing about giving somebody a participation ribbon or a a gold star. It actually does a complete fucking opposite because you give somebody a participation ribbon and say, Hey, Timmy, you did a great fucking job, even though even though you let in five fucking goals tonight. Like, but I'm so proud of you, sweetie. My little mm-hmm. honey cake, you're doing great. Yes. You know what Timmy does? He goes and thinks that he's great and he has this false sense of confidence exactly. that 
no matter what he does, no matter, no matter if I do so poorly in something, I'm doing mm-hmm. a great job. That is not how life works. No. That is not how life works in any yes. sense. If you do a shitty fucking job on your business proposal, you're not going to get the contract exactly. and you're not going to get the paycheck and you're not able to feed your family. Like there are real consequences to that. But if you teach somebody that at a young age and you say, even though you did a shitty job, I'm, I'm still proud of you and you deserve to be rewarded for that. That is not how life works. Life is about actually putting in the necessary steps to achieve the reward that you actually deserve. You have to actually earn it. And nobody in the real world is going to give you a gold star if you don't deserve it. So programming them that way, they're going to be shocked when they get to the real world. And they're like, Oh, I thought I thought I could just do a half-assed job. Aren't you supposed to? But I tried my best. So doesn't that matter? No, go home. You're fired. Like, and it's, it does the complete opposite effect. And it's actually giving kids the opposite result that was desired. Yeah. And the hard thing is, is it's not, it's not the kid's fault. No, not at all. He's so shocked when he sees what the real world is. Mm -hmm. And I, at the end of the day, like I said, I don't blame the parents either. They're just trying to do the best. They're trying to do what other people are telling them. Uh, of course, there's going to get to a time where that kid needs to take responsibility for his life. But I kind of do blame the parents because they should take responsibility for raising a kid properly, right? Yes. Like, yes. If, if, like I, I put so much weight into good parenting that I do blame bad parents. Like I do fault the parents. I don't blame the kid. I blame that parent Mm -hmm. for being uneducated and not being able to actively, actively have made themselves better and actually went through life kind of figuring out what's best for most individuals Mm -hmm. or how to be happy or how to be successful and actually work for the things they deserve before you have a kid and try to teach them something. Bingo. Uh, and that's a really good point. Because at the end of the day, it's questioning the narrative. It's mm-hmm. not just following the... Exactly. Exactly. And, and that's the, the excuse that I gave for that parent. And you have exactly a human. That. You have a human. Yes. I can't think of a more mm-hmm. heavy situation. You are raising a person. Like, it's not like... Like, yeah, you should question things with like with majority of things. But there's not anywhere near as much responsibility there. Raising a kid properly should be your fucking yes. most ins- insanely scary project ever mm-hmm. that you take so seriously. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, hundred percent. I'm I'm on board again. Like, the amount of investment you need to make sure that you are leading your kid in the right direction and you're leading by example to make sure that he's on his way to be successful. To me, that's as at least with my values when I look at it. When I do decide to have kids, if I do end up having kids, that's number one. Yeah. Right? And don't get me wrong. We're going to make mistakes and parents 100%. make mistakes, but you should be putting your best foot forward. Absolutely. Like, Absolutely. Yeah. I know what you mean. Yeah. Um, if you could, if you could give young men three pieces of advice in order of importance, what would those be? It's a really good question. Um, first thing I talk about is just self-awareness. Is do not is listen to yourself. Listen to figure out who you are. Again, we have emotions on purpose, right? Listen to the, those emotions. Do the work to find out what you want and what your values are. And then create your levels or your ways of judging who you want to be 
and how, how you want to do it as well as what is successful in your eyes. Uh, that's one, uh, two, why is that one important? Just because to me, that's a huge key to happiness. You're writing your rules in your own rule book to how to be happy at whatever your name is. Yeah. 100%. Self-awareness is something that like comes up so much and it's Mm -hmm. something that I honestly think is probably the most important skill that anybody should have just in general. Like it just don't, it comes back to this like sports and things like that. Don't set your values based on what society has. And and you just touched on that, but it's being able to be aware of why you say things and why you do things and why other people say Mm -hmm. and do things is arguably just as important will make shape you to be a better person because Mm -hmm. you need to be critical of yourself. Like you're going to constantly change. You're going to make mistakes every single day. You're going to do good things every day Mm -hmm. and being self, not just letting those go in and out, being aware of those and being like, that was a good thing. I'm happy with that. That is leading to more happiness and being like, I need to do more of that. And then being like, oh, that was kind of shitty. I was doing that for the wrong reasons. That was to promote my ego. I need to stop doing that. But you're aware of it. And if you weren't, you would have no capacity to shape yourself into a better character. Reason why that's number one. It's so relevant for today's society. We are such a distracted society. We have so much stimulus around us to never get bored. And here's the benefit of boredom is you process your own thoughts. Yeah. We don't do that anymore. We have podcasts, we have TV, we have music. We are never sitting alone with our own thoughts. And I've had a ton of clients that struggle with sleep and a majority of them are having struggle, are struggling with sleep because the first time that they sit alone with their own thoughts is when they hit the pillow. Mm-hmm. And you can't avoid it. You can't distract yourself when you're trying to go to bed. That's why you see so many people smoking marijuana before bed mm-hmm. is because that's how they can escape that. Exactly. Now they're yeah. constantly distracted throughout the whole day. Such a good point. And you just feel lost when you're constantly distracted because you're, you're never processing your emotions. You just feel like you're in a car and you're not in control. Right, Because we cannot control our own feelings. We can control and analyze them, how we act on our feelings. But to pretend like you can control how you feel is just a slippery slope. That's impossible. Right? Um, and not having that ability to process your emotions, self-awareness, as well as learn from your mistakes, as well as just... Learn from experiences, what you like, what you don't like, to me is is how you understand yourself. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. And if you're constantly distracted, you're going to feel lost into why you're on this earth, into what makes you happy, into what doesn't make you happy. Another huge thing, what you're not willing to put up with, boundaries. That's far more important. That's far more important. Recognizing what doesn't make you happy is arguably the most important thing to recognize because so many people put up with bullshit for way too long and do things that they don't actually enjoy and do things that go against their value system just because that's what everybody else around them is doing. Mm -hmm. Fucking recently went through that. Like I wholeheartedly get it. Like it's, and it's hard because you're in the sandstorm and you're blinded and it's just, it kind of happens. And then one day you're like, mm-hmm. holy shit, relationships are a great yes. example of that. It's like all of a sudden one day you're like, I'm really unhappy with this. Like, this is kind of toxic. Like mm-hmm. I, what happened? Like my, 
I lost my values a year yes. and a half ago. Like what changed? And then it's like, and then, and then it's kind of that realization. But when that realization happens and you kind of recognize like, holy shit, I've been doing something I don't actually enjoy. You have to add that to your value system and you have to make it concrete. You can't let that go again because once you start lying to yourself, it's a negative feedback loop. You don't trust yourself and then you don't mm-hmm. trust yourself to make wise decisions and then you make rash decisions mm-hmm. and then you probably make a poor decision and then again, you don't trust yourself. And it's just this negative feedback loop of not trusting your ability to take care of yourself. And it, it kind of leads me into my number. The second one that I want to talk about is just... And that leads me into my second... Uh, point to answer your question. The second most important thing I would um, say to young men is is just having a growth mindset, um, not fearing change. You know, uh, I heard a really powerful thing on uh, Chris Williamson. Um, Shout out Chrissy, and, uh, Chrissy Chaos. Was it Modern Wisdom podcast? Yeah, Modern Wisdom. Yeah. And he said, "Ask yourself, how, what's your relationship like with the person you were two years ago." And he goes, if you're not really uncomfortable with the person you are two years ago, that's usually a red flag. Yeah. That's fucking really powerful. Yeah. I love, yeah, that's so good. Because think about it. Anybody that's growing at a rapid rate and is, sees the person and the mistakes that they made two years ago and is, is just cringing. It's, because, oh, dude. You know what I mean? Oh, dude, it's so cringy. Right? And not fearing change and not fearing... And going in, diving deep into change. It's in, when you are changing one your, or your values or anything about you, there's that discomfort period that you have to go through. It's change. It is in our psychology that there will be this discomfort period. I read a book, uh, of course, Mark Manson. Um, and it was, everything is fucked. And he talked about why that is. And think about it this way. The values that you have right now got you here and you're alive our dumb brains that are designed for survival that's a win even if we're not thriving it's still a win so if we want to change our values that's uncertainty that's uncertain that we are going to survive and i know it's crazy to think of it on that level but that's how our psyche looks at it so there's going to be this uncomfortable period usually anywhere from 14 to 21 days where we are on edge because it's an uncertain future. It's ego death. Like it's, yes. it's the ego is the same way. And that's just another way to describe what you said, but it's like me and Zev have talked about it. Your ego recognizing recognizes that whatever you did yesterday is the reason you're alive today. So as soon as you start to change anything within your mind or within your environment or anything like that, your ego is scared and your ego is scared to die because your ego's whole purpose is for it to live and for you to live. So when you suddenly propose some sort of change that is uncertain, like you said, there's a risk of dying. And then it's like, well, we need to go back to what we did yesterday because that's the reason we're surviving. So that's where anxiety comes from. That's why people feel anxious. Confidence. What is confidence? Confidence is having past positive experiences that you can recollect and, and expect that the future is going to be the same. You walk into a gym and you're new to a gym. You don't know what to expect. You see a lot of people with these big muscles and they're lifting these really heavy things and you immediately think they must know what they're doing. And I don't. That's usually a negative experience. For some people, that gets them out the door. 
right? And because they feel, they feel discomfort, they leave. The reason why they're feeling discomfort is because they haven't had a positive experience in the gym because they haven't put in enough work to see results out of it. And they haven't felt at home in the gym, right? If you can get through that discomfort period and get some reps on your belt, consistently go, all of a sudden you start getting stronger. You start putting on some muscle mass and you see those positive emotions from the gym. All of a sudden the gym isn't so scary anymore, right? Mm -hmm. Um, what's number three <laughs> what's your third one um, you put me on the spot here that's the goal yes yes it is my third one would probably be um, just lead, lead by example you kind of already already touched on that but um, shit I want to go back on that pause it for a second Okay, so Nate's trying to think of his third one for young men and what specifically it would be. Um, I'm going to give my top one. It's not my top one. I'm probably going to talk about a variety of things like throughout this. Um, my biggest thing for young men would be be aggressive. Be aggressive in your pursuit of whatever it is that you want to pursue. And if you've listened to the last two episodes, you're going to understand kind of what I'm talking about already. But aggression is something that is being weeded out of young men and just men in general in our society. And unfortunately, it is so... Sorry, fortunately for us, um, but unfortunately for all those people who are trying to weed it out of us, it is one of the most important things for men and like kind of what gives us the ability to be so successful and for females too it's no different but young men and I was this way when I was a kid and I don't know if you were but just it's so easy to be passive and it's so easy to be scared and it's so easy to be reserved and avoid uncomfortable situations because you're scared it's, it comes back to that change thing but you need to be aggressive. Like you mm -hmm. need to, whatever it is, whether you're trying to go to the OHL, whether you're trying to start a business, whether you're trying to make money, whether you're trying to get bigger than that guy that you look up to in school, be aggressive in your approach. There's, um, Dr. Jordan Shallows talks about this and it's burn the boats. And it comes from, it comes from, I think there was an explorer who came to, I can't remember where he landed. It might've been South America. It might've been somewhere in America, but he got there with a group of explorers and there wasn't that many people with them because a lot of them had died on the journey and they burned all of the boats that they came in so that they would have no choice but to explore and succeed in their exploration on the where they landed. So it's called burn the boats and that saying means give yourself no possible, no excuse to, you have no choice but to achieve the thing that you're trying to do. Meaning like, Getting, getting up early as fuck and making sure you get up so you have no excuse to go back to bed mm -hmm. or making sure that you, you put on all your gym clothes as soon as you get home so that you have no excuse. You already start driving before your mind even lets you say, I don't want to go to the gym tonight. Burn the boats, give yourself no excuse. And that sort of aggression and that sort of like drive to achieve whatever it is you want to achieve 
will undoubtedly make you a better young man and just a better person in general. Aggressively pursue a female. Aggressively. And that does not mean rape them. Like, that does not mean, like, do some... People think of aggression and they think of anger and they think of violence. And that is not it. You can... You can aggressively develop your character. I think I know a better word. Courage. For sure. Have courage in what you're doing. Well... Not letting other people distract you and bother you in the direction that you want to go. I would say yes. Like, there's obviously courageous parts of that, and I would agree. But courage doesn't necessarily mean, like, you're un... Like, you're unwilling to fail. Like, you... Like, you were... You were... Putting all the options on the table and all of the ones that have yes. you failing are out of yes. your mind. Like, mm-hmm. be fucking narrowly focused on your goal yes. if that's what you want to do. Focus on something for an entire year before you give up. That's aggression. Mm-hmm. That is being aggressive towards that pursuit. Yes. And it takes a lot of courage, but it takes it takes a thing that young men have that they need to utilize more. Yes. And you have all this testosterone, you have all these hormones point it in the right direction and you are capable of anything absolutely i, I actually love that point and jordan peterson talks a lot about exactly controlled aggression and that's where i got it from so um, and that's I, what really changed yeah. my perspective on aggression i thought of my third one good stuff control your environment to put you in a position to succeed and just be happy that's perfect your um, environment dictates so much of who you are exactly uh, and that's one thing you can control. Like, you can't control the outcome of a lot of things, but you can control the people you put yourself around. Uh, I think it's the, the statement, you're an average of the five people you spend the most time around. Some um, of the people you surround yourself with. Exactly. Yeah. Right so um, true. As well as just having high standards for what you're willing to put up with. Kind of going back to that. Yeah. Um, so, so important, man. Mm-hmm. Because as soon as you put up with a lot of bullshit for a long time and then you realize that you were and you come out of it, whether it's friends, relationships, parents, Mm -hmm. workplace, whatever it is, as soon as you come out on the other side of that, it's like, it's like somebody took the blinders off. It's like, oh my God, like I have been letting myself be unhappy for no good reason. We talk about like discipline a lot. And of course, discipline is so important, especially with, again, being coaches in the industry. Um, we want our clients to be disciplined on what they want, right? But we also know that when your environment sucks, it makes it so much more difficult to be disciplined, yeah. right? When you're constantly looking at, like, when you have Uber Eats on your phone, right? Where it's so easy to order fast food to your door, you're going to be more likely to do it because sometimes you're going to feel like shit and you you're, it's going to happen, mm-hmm. right? By taking, putting yourself in a better environment, you're putting yourself in a position to succeed. That's so good. I actually love that. And Zach, and that's kind of where it comes down. I always ask the question, like what, like rank them in order. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a trick question because it's a yeah. combination of all of exactly. these things that we'll talk about. Like you can't have that controlled aggression without a positive environment. You can't, mm-hmm. you can't be courageous without having mm-hmm. a decent environment to support you. Like, so it's, it's it's definitely a combination of a, a bunch of different rules and things that Nate and I have both realized growing up as young men. Um, we just moved into this new house. And so I'm with three personal trainers. Scott, I was with Alec and Talise. And these are all strong motherfuckers. <laughs> <laughs> and me being like, I got honestly the weakest one in the group. Deadlift. It's been... <laughs> 
It's been what two months? Yeah, two and a half. And guess what happened? I, me stronger. personally got a hell of a lot stronger because it it was good for my ego, and it motivated the shit out of me when I saw the work the people around me were doing. Hell yeah! To put in the work myself, and it made me better. And was it hard on my ego at first? Absolutely, but it made me better, and I was willing to go through that uncomfortable period. And I can look at it kind of on the side or not even on the other side. Now I'm still going through it and they, it's, they still push me huge. Um, and it's just a perfect example of environment being a huge factor. Couldn't be a better environment. Mm -hmm. I, I wholeheartedly agree. This house is, we really push each other. Um, where do you see yourself in five years or where would you like to see yourself in five years? Um, I would love to just, again, have an impact on people's lives. I, I still see myself uh, being in the fitness industry. I just, I'm, I'm too obsessed with helping people. And, and I, I want to dive deep on that too as well. But um, I, just, I just love the feeling I get when I can impact people's lives. And especially for the better. When I look at my, what I had to go through in terms of my personal development... Uh, stages of life and I see the value in everything that I've learned I, I want to help as many people as I can so that they never went what I went through um, what did you go through okay in terms of again self-efficacy self-efficacy self issues insecurities traumas getting through those things that you can but in order to do that you have to take responsibility yourself um, and you need leaders. You need people around you that you can ask advice to and have a support system that you can open up to. And the, one of the reasons why I love being a PT is, is you're in their corner. Like you're in your client's corner. You're on their team. Meaning sometimes the best Nate coach for that day is just listening to your client on what they're going through. And and giving them very, like good advice and, and allowing them to know that they're not the only ones going through this and it, it's going to be okay, you know, and just kind of reassuring them a little bit um, as well as making sure they're developing as a person. Because at the end of the day, I always look at my clients kind of like a puzzle, right? And here's the thing. Every client is a different puzzle and I, I'm constantly on my toes learning more and more about how I can help them in different ways. And it just keeps me motivated to stay in the industry. Um, I'm very passionate about, um, again, just the self-help industry. Uh, and I would love to um, have an impact on young men, especially. Because I see some of my peers, the people around me, and I, f I really see men have a vulnerability issue. And it stems from, I guess you could say toxic masculinity is from our later past generations of men don't feel emotions. Men are not, men are supposed to be fine. We're supposed to provide, we're supposed to protect and that's it. And you, you don't get to feel bad, right? And just as we progress as society, we start to realize that men have feelings too. And men have insecurities too. And by pushing them down and avoiding them, they only make them worse. 
So I think in this next five years, I think the men's, hopefully, the men's self-help uh, industry skyrockets a little bit, and I would love to be part of that. Oh, I'm hit with a crossroads. I don't know where to go. Um, you mentioned, uh, you mentioned, so, okay, so how do you, okay, I'm going to go this way. So how do you want to be a part of that self-help industry then? Because you mentioned in five years you would like to be there, but yes. what's that going to look like for you um, specifically? First, I need to lead by example. Again, it's, if it's with my business, right? If it's me expressing myself on social media, really showing them who I am and leading by example and just giving value, valuable content online. If it's writing book, uh, et cetera. Follow Nate Witt PT on Instagram. <laughs> yeah. um, but I, I, I can't pretend to have all the answers if I haven't done it myself. There's so much that I need to go through me personally. At the end of the day, I'm, I love that. I love that you're even like thinking about that, making sure that you're in the right place before you give advice. Well, I would just feel like a hypocrite. Yeah, for you sure. You know, I feel like an absolute hypocrite. Here we are giving advice <laughs> on this podcast right now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. And like, um, yeah, I, I just, I just want to help people go through, uh, help, help, just make sure people know that the stuff they're going through, they're not alone, and that they can get through it. It's going to be hard but they can absolutely get through it. It's an interesting thing you said about men and young men and how we have a vulnerability issue and that it's not socially acceptable to be emotional as a man. You should need to be hard. You need to be the rock and everything. But suicide rates are highest in men. Majority of suicides are men. Middle-aged men take their lives at the most frequent rate compared to any other individual. Mm Mm-hmm. Should that not be our biggest concern? Should that not be something that there is way more focus on? Should that not be our priority to figure out what it is men are dealing with and why? And what are the steps to figure that out? Absolutely. Because, and that's why this podcast like is gonna, it's gonna have a huge direction towards that. Specifically young men and just men in general. And because we're men, we're able to, we're able to be more like relatable in that sense because it's such a fucking issue. Even if you're not, even if you're not concerned about taking your life, there's so many bums or so many men that are just fucking sitting in their basement playing video games and jerking off. Like you need to have some responsibility and things to strive for and things to work towards and develop great friendships and relationships mm-hmm. so that you don't spend your entire life dealing with mental illness that you don't deserve and that you're better than like, Till I was about 19, had, again, had friends around me, had friends in my corner. They truly knew nothing about the experience I was going through in life. And I feel like that's a lot of men. Yeah. Is they have friends. They talk about sports. They talk about beers. They talk about girls. They talk about the news. Very superficial topics. But they never talk about how they're feeling. They're not talking about um, some of the, like their passions in life. They're not talking about just anything vulnerable that causes true connection in human beings. Not genders, human beings, right? And you will have such better relationships in general just being able to express your emotions. Oh my God, yeah, man. 100%. A lot of the the reason that 
a lot of the reason that any relationship fails or friendship fails or or you fail with your relationship with yourself mm-hmm. is is because you lack the ability to be honest with that person or yourself. And that self-relationship is huge. As soon as you start lying to yourself and as soon as you start just being dishonest in general with anybody in life, that's when you lack connection and that's when your relationships crumble. So it's a good point. Um, it's interesting when talking about relationships because I find that you see a lot of narcissistic guys and that is a, what a lot of guys look to achieve in terms of what they believe is successful in with their relationships, right? Guys that are only invested in themselves, they don't care about girls, all they care about is kind of a, a check mark behind when they, again, hook up or sleep with a girl. And we look at that and we praise them as a society, which is insane. Um, just because you're using people at the end of the day, right? I, again, people are going to have different intentions behind relationships, etc. Some people are not in the position to be in a, a long-term relationship or just looking for short-term fun, etc. But at the end of the day, if you're using people for your own personal gain, that's fucked up. Yeah. <clears throat> it's crazy because like, it definitely like when I was like late teens, I had tons of narcissistic characteristics mm-hmm. and I think a lot of young men do. You, you come out of it on the other side re- realizing like, okay, I had these shitty tendencies and I had these, I had a bit of a shitty character in some senses, but it's like, how did it get there? Like, it's like, and that's the thing, you can't blame the young men because it just kind of happens. It's not a conscious choice. Like I am going to use this person for my benefit, but it's what, it's what society kind of breeds a lot of time. You can, you, there needs to be some personal responsibility yes. there, but there's, it's just, it's a lot more of like societal pressures and societal standards. Nice guys don't win. That's a, that's a saying for a reason, but it, it's real. Yeah, it, it is. For it's sure. real. It's, and it's, that's not the full truth. It's not the full truth. It's a half truth. Yeah. So let me tell you my perspective, especially on, again, the nice guys as well as the narcissistic guys. I understand why there's in, in society, they are praised. If that makes sense. One narcissistic guys do well with women at the start. I always, how I learned it and how I experience it, when you meet someone else, there's always an investment gap. Who is invested in who more? And one thing narcissistic guys put on a face of, I'm very invested in myself. And that's the definition of a narcissist, is an overinvestment in themselves and nobody else. Here's the thing, that's attractive. Because you give off the persona that you're very confident, you know what direction in your life you're doing, you ha- you're very well spoken, your opinion matters, and you just give off a vibe of confidence, etc. But what happens is it ruins long-term relationships because there's never a compromise in the relationship. There's never a uh, I care about you and the investment gap kind of never equals. And that, that to me is what a good relationship is, is when kind of you're both equally invested in each other. I think I disagree on some levels because you can have all of those characteristics and still have really healthy relationships. And I think true narcissists don't actually have those true characteristics. It might look like narcissist, like a person's very narcissistic and is I'm confident. I'm only invested in myself. I'm, I'm just driven towards my goal. I don't really care about girls. Like if she's there along the mm-hmm. ride, that's cool. 
that's not a true narcissist because there's a lot of like a lot of narcissists are narcissistic to please others. They're not only invested in themselves. They're to get praise from others validation. and they're to, yeah, they're trying to get validation because mm-hmm. they actually lack yes. confidence in yes. themselves. Usually they don't have true confidence. Like they majority of the time are, I need to look this certain way so that society sees me in this way. I need to drive mm-hmm. a nice car. So when I go past people, mm-hmm. they think I'm the shit like, or this, I want to get this girl because I want her to think that I don't have enough time for her. But in reality, that girl's attention is fucking feeding the narcissism. Mm -hmm. And it is a fine line, you know, Um, a very confident individual who, who, who is attracted uh, by girls should be invested in their opinion and invested in themselves. That's the the pure definition of actually an attractive man. Yeah. But they still care about others. You know, yeah. I feel like that's the line. Exactly, yeah. They're still invested about other people's opinions. More, they choose what opinions they're invested in. It's not just about them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of a, it's kind of a weird thing. Like, it's kind of this weird thing with narcissists or just this topic in general is that, like, you can have all of the same characteristics of a narcissist, but they mean completely different things to you, right? Mm-hmm. And you can look like a narcissist or just somebody who is an asshole on the surface. But when you get to know that person, you're like, oh, like you actually have very good values. You're self-aware. You understand what you want. You actually care for the people around you. But you're also driven. You're also a little self-absorbed because you care about yourself the most. And you (laughs) want yourself to be good before you're trying Mm -hmm. to help others, trying to bring other people in your life. You can have all those characteristics but still value your family and friends and girlfriend and all of that. So so it's this weird thing where it's like you can have on paper, it all looks the same, but then when you meet that person, it's totally different. And it's more of like, I think for you and I, it's pretty easy. Like you and it will meet somebody and we'll be like, yep, like clearly there's some narcissistic Mm -hmm. tendencies for a lot of people though, especially girls that are like looking for a partner. It's like, they won't realize till two, three years deep, like, or, or men on the other side. The biggest factor in like, analyzing behavior does their intentions match their words what was that what's that quote you have about like actions and words actions speak louder than words oh um your actions speak so loud i can't hear your words yeah yeah yeah. damn it's it's so true um it is true true. again the actual verbal text that we use is about 30 percent of communication and 70 percent is body language vocal tonality etc um, and that's how you can tell if, if someone's intentions isn't speaking the same thing of their words, they're usually either, they're not speaking their, their honest truth. Well, they're probably confused themselves. Yes. Right? They don't actually understand what they want to say or what mm-hmm. they want to do, but they're trying to give you a persona yes. of I'm this, I'm that, but you're clearly not actually mm-hmm. doing it because I can see it in your life. If you were doing it, then I would know. Two guys can say the exact same compliments to a girl, and the girl can take it two different ways. Why? Damn, girl, fat ass. <laughs> it's the. Intent. I don't know. How you mean. <laughs> <laughs> okay, dude, not an example. <laughs> I just led with the narcissist, and I didn't know what was after. The damn baby, I love your round buttocks. The difference is: is it a genuine compliment, or is it I want to get something from you? 
and I'm using this as a way to do it. That fat ass. That's what I'm trying, <laughs> trying to get that dump truck. <laughs> it's true though. Yeah. And, yeah. and we, have, we can read it. Some people better than others, but uh, we can definitely get those um, kind of vibes. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's very interesting. There's a lot of... I was just thinking about this. It's like majority... You're talking about narcissism. Go ahead. You got a question? What would your advice be to young men or just young people in general on what to strive for in terms of bringing positive relationships into your life? Be yourself. Just be you. Sounds cheesy, but the most positive relationships you're ever going to develop in your life, whether it's a girlfriend or a friend... Um, or peers or anything like that is going to be the people that actually like you for who you are and actually care about like Nate Witt, like care about Scott Thompson, like care about who that person is and not because of the things we drive, the things we own, the way we look to society. They just like you and they align with your values. And if you are true to yourself and you are actually being the individual that you want to be, then you are going to align yourself with people that you want to be around. Jumping off that. Um, again, I went through some times in my life where I felt alone, right? And you start questioning and you're going, why does everybody else have amazing friends, etc.? And what I realized and what advice I would give to that, that myself when I was thinking that is, are you speaking truth to yourself? Are you your 100% honest self? Because how do you expect to attract those people you're talking about if you're being someone you're not? So if you're, if you're, again, if you're having trouble building relationships, look at yourself in the mirror. Exactly. Ask ask yourself if you're being your true 100% authentic self. That's why so many people have like our age, not even our age, just fuck. Honestly, man, it feels like humans in general, just especially relationships. Like this is the reason monogamy is dying is because like... You two people are trying to create a relationship and spend the rest of their lives together before they even know who they are, before they've even figured out what I want in life, who I want to be, what my 20s are going to consist of, what my 30s are consist of, like what my values are and what and how I don't break those values and the hierarchy of my values and things like that. How do you expect to grow parallel with somebody when you're still trying to figure out just who the fuck you want to be and how to not be a shitty person and how to be a good person and how not to get insecure and how not to get jealous and like all of these things that are so prevalent in today's day and age in relationships that takes so much work like literally years decades of work and self-development and reading books and practicing with friendships and relationships and trial and error how are you how do you expect to marry somebody at 25 and live for the rest of your life with them when you don't understand yourself such a good point two people have to be them two people have to be them honest selves and be legitimately happy with themselves and be legitimately proud of the direction they're going in before they can expect to bring somebody else into their life and have a similar feeling i couldn't give better advice to myself than to be selfish in your early 20s. Oh my God, yeah. Be alone. 
don't rush into a relationship just because you feel a little lonely and want oh, some sex. Man. No, like, man. Like, do not. Because the consequences of that are far greater than being alone and having a jerk off. The energy you spend in the relationship, and a lot of the times it's toxic because at the end of the day, you're, two, you're dealing with two individuals that don't know what they want, that are kind of lost, and they're relying on each other for happiness, yeah. which is toxic. Right? Because they don't rely on themselves for happiness. And then they resent each other for that because they know subconsciously they're reliant on the other for happiness and validation. And what ends up happening is they invest so much energy into fixing the relationship that they lose themselves. Yeah. And they stop putting in energy into, save their hobbies or their career. Or other stuff that made them who they were when they got into that relationship. And you see it all the time. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't agree more. That's exactly what it is. And then and then that's what I was saying. Like it's like you when you're done that relationship or that friendship or whatever it is, you come out of it like you just came out of a fucking sandstorm and you're like, Holy shit, like I've I lost this hobby, I lost this friend, I lost this and this and this throughout that entire experience. And I didn't even care because my sole focus was making sure that that relationship could survive and it should have died months ago. Easiest example you see all the times is, you said it right there, they lose their friends. Oh my God, I hate that. That's the worst. I hate, I will never fucking let myself do that. When either, it can be either way, if, Say the one party doesn't have a huge social circle or maybe is very jealous and doesn't like their, their, their partner hanging with their friends and the one partner wants to appease the other partner so they avoid them. And then what ends up happening is that relationship breaks up and you have nobody to go to. You yeah. want to talk about a lesson learned? Talk about being lonely? Wow. Do not do that to yourself. Have a support system before you even think about going into a relationship. Oh my God, man. It's, and this might be a hot take, but I honestly truly believe it. And I'm sure some people disagree. You should value your friends equally, if not greater than your partner in a lot of ways. So you're going to have a connection with your partner that is different from your friends, obviously, because there's that sexual, emotional, love connection. But I truly love my friends. Like, I legitimately love them on such a deep level. I have those... Here's the thing. You have... I have friends that I've known for literally, like, 17 years. And I'm only 22. Like, I've known friends for 17 years. You're going to tell me this girl that I started dating six months ago means more to me than that friend? No, they're equal. Like, I think you should, I think you should be putting investment into that relationship and care for them. But you're lying to yourself if you feel like you truly care for them the same way that you care for somebody you've known and grown up with for 17 years. You're lying to yourself. Mm-hmm. If you've been in a relationship for years, yes, that is more potent than a friendship typically because you spend more time with them and there's a deeper mm-hmm. connection. But you should value your friends more than your relationship for a long time before that relationship. You actually start to realize that relationship might be lifelong. Because here's the thing, you know those friends are worth lifelong. Absolutely. And you know that you should keep them around because they do nothing but make you better and happier. You should not be taking time out of that investment. It's like taking money out of an investment that you know you're going to hold for your entire life and pays you massively and putting it into a fucking crypto and seeing what happens and dealing with all the bullshit. Great analogy. 
great analogy. And if if you don't believe us, you're gonna learn the hard way. Exactly. And it's gonna it's gonna be horrible. I can tell you right now, it's one of the most fucking. I've never really like lost friends. I haven't lost friends when I've been in a relationship, but I've lost a lot of hobbies and a lot of like values that really mattered to me in a relationship and then had to regain those back. And that realization is crushing. And it's so much work to get back to the person that you were and then build on top of that. It'll take you years. So save yourself some time, find the balance of maintaining your friendships, maintaining your values, and still creating a healthy relationship because it will be healthier as a result. And if you truly want that relationship to work, that's what you should actually be doing because that is what builds healthy, sound relationships. I want to say you can be in a relationship in your, in your 20s and still have that growth mindset. Yes. It's just rare. It's hard. And it takes two parties. And it's very difficult. I'm not saying it can't happen, but the advice I would give to myself is be picky. Be picky. Yes. When you're in your early 20s. About like, who. be so picky that you're concerned you're too picky. Yes. Couldn't have said it better. Could not have said it better. Because it's so important who you put yourself around and the energy that you're investing in your own 20s if it's not in you. Yeah. It's exactly. It's so you, powerful. We have so much time to experience um, relationships later on when we're more developed. You know? And I'm not saying you can't meet people. No. It's not that. It's... Happy picky, like we said. Yeah, well, yeah, I think because that's a kind of that trial and error thing I was talking about. Meet people, spend time with people, but don't go two feet in. Yes. And I'm not, like, that doesn't mean just go to the bar and hook up with people. That means, like, go meet girls or go meet guys and spend time getting to know them. Spend some time together. Do kind of those preliminary things that couples might do and recognize kind of what you like what you dislike and be super picky like nate just said and don't be afraid to just say hey i don't really think this is going to work right now i'm not that interested and then move on and then spend some time on yourself and then revisit it mm. and you because you need to learn what you like and dislike and that comes from experience it doesn't mean you have to be a slut it just means like you have to actually go and meet people and in in enlarge your social circle and figure out what is best and what is actually going to give you the most happiness and do not rush like there is no more time you will have in your entire life than in your young 20s to figure this out so do not rush because it'll it'll cost you more time in the long run when you're trying to backtrack and figure out everything that you missed over that three-year relationship to me relationships are about finding people that you can bring into your life that will make your life better. Like that will make you feel more like yourself and you better. That's exactly what they are. But people, but people view them like, here's the thing, like people view them not as that. And it took you and I going through some fucking really positive and really negative relationships to figure that out. And that's kind of what we're saying. It's a trial and error thing. But that's like the weird thing is that 
relationships are transactional now. It's, it's, oh it's, God. oh, you're that dime piece girl that I can walk into the bar with and everybody can stare at me or I can show my friends, be like, yeah, I'm hooking up with this chick mm-hmm. or look at this, look at my guy. Like he's, mm-hmm. he drives this or he does this for work and I, you're proud to bring him home to your family. That's transactional. Do you I'm, love that person? Cause it doesn't seem like it. I'm not proud of this, but I can, I can honestly say one, I've grown from this, but I am guilty of this. When I was in college, I would hook up with girls more to impress my guy friends than to actually hook up with a girl. Yeah. I was invested more in my friend's opinion of me than I was in the girl. And I, if there's a decent amount of young men listening to this, and it's probably not, but that's fine. That is, you know, you, you probably, Nate just saying that, you prob- that just probably hit a soft spot for you. Because you know it, who you know. Exactly. And think, I want you to go into the girl's perspective, how she feels. She's going to feel used. And she's yeah. going to feel like men are toxic. And you start to get, wonder why some females have a bad perception of who men are. is because men, ha- not having the emotional awareness to express their intentions, going into the situation, as well as a lot of the times ending it awfully. Like ghosting drives me insane. Mm-hmm. You are such, such a pussy. If you can't even send a message saying, I'm sorry, I'm not interested. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, I'm not interested. Yeah, for sure, 100%. And you should realistically sit down with that person. Yes. In, um, in person. The, across the text is the bare minimum. Oh like, I don't God. even like that. No. Speak like, to her, man. Yeah. Have some fucking courage. Exactly. Like, be a man. That's being a man to me. That is being a man. Because, because that... Like Jordan Peterson says, if you want an adventure, tell the truth. Yes. And put yourself in a fucking scary, uncomfortable mm-hmm. position. And you want to talk about uncomfortable? Sit across from somebody and tell them that you don't want to talk to them anymore. Mm-hmm. That fucking hurts. And you yes. know that's going to hurt that person. It's going to make you feel bad. But it's important because you told that person your honest truth. And you can go to bed at night. And it's going to fuck them up more when you ghost them because then they're going to rack their head. At least they have closure. At least they know yes. the end. It's going to hurt them in the moment, but they're not going to spend the next three months being like, why do these guys ghost me? What's wrong with me? I have no idea. I think the majority of people have been on both sides of that. Everyone can agree being ghosted is horrible. Yeah. Because you go through these, this psychological roller coaster of why and what you did wrong. That's not fair. If you've gone through that, learn from it. Yeah. And if you have been ghosted, or even if you had it, go back, be a little bit self-aware, and ask yourself, how would you want to be broken up with? How would you want, if someone was not interested in you, how would you want that conversation to go? And do what the oldest saying in the books Treat others the way you want to be treated. I was literally just going to say that. I was just going to say that cheesy ass line. That's one thing that's interesting about growing up is adults say some really powerful shit to you that you take. It's cheesy. So many of the cheesiest sayings in the world are things that should hold insane value in your mind. That's such a simple saying that means so much. It means so much. Because if you're treating others the way you want to be treated, then, you, then you're staying true to your values and you're staying true to what actually matters to you. Because if you value not having somebody ghost you, why on earth would you? You're lying to yourself. You're that's, cheating yourself. That's the most important thing is making yourself proud. You do it. You do that. You don't ghost. 
for you. You don't, you don't ghost because you want to be able to lay your head down at night knowing that I, ex- my, I express myself honestly. Yeah. And I didn't hurt somebody today. Ex- yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's it. And the shitty thing is, it's like that is so easy for us to say and it seems so obvious the way we're describing it, but it's so hard. Like you get so caught up in it. You get so caught up in your own insecurities and you're scared to have that awkward conversation and you're scared to hurt somebody's feelings and all of these things. And it's, and it's unfortunate because you let yourself down and you have, it's a growth period. You have to figure that out, especially if you're a teenager and you're going to do some shitty stuff to people, but you're going to learn from it and just hearing stuff like this or like reading a book or listening to a podcast that's useful will make you start to understand your own psychology. And I guess that's kind of why we're both so into this mm-hmm. because we've learned the hard way and you probably will too. Like it's, but that, but it's so valuable for listening to somebody to be able to kind of fast track that process and make you not make those mistakes early on. Mm-hmm. Right. Another thing I want to go over is just cheating. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's, <laughs> okay, this whole podcast so far, I literally talked about cheating for like the 15 minutes with Zeb. Oh, did we? We can brush yeah. fast. No, 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 no. Let's talk about it quick. Because if anybody listening is listening to this one, then you already know my thoughts on it. Yeah. But I want to hear yours. You're, sh- you're being selfish. You're being so selfish. You invested so much time into someone, in, in a girl or a guy, whatever. And what you're saying is... Five minutes, or however long you last. Five minutes? Oh my god. <laughs> Who's this marathon? <laughs> yeah, that's impressive. <laughs> okay, fine. 35 <laughs> seconds, okay? That 35 second high is worth all that investment you have in that girl or guy. You're saying that's worth it. And no shit, you're gonna, you're gonna, that's trauma to some people. Well, here's, well here's the thing about cheating, and this is what I was talking to Zeb with. It's not even about the initial hurt to the person that you hurt. That's not why cheating bothers me so much. It's not the fact that that person's going to find out you cheated and it's going to crush them in that moment. It's the fact that you just ruined that person's trust for every relationship that they're ever going to be in again. People don't think about that weight, though. They don't think about the Mm -hmm. fact that you are going to create a trauma that will change somebody for the rest of their life. Not only that, I've seen this multiple times. We've talked about this. Cheaters think everyone else cheats. Yeah. You 100%. will not be able to trust the girl if you're a cheater. 100%. You will not be able to do it because you do it. Those are the most insecure, scared dudes that are convinced their girls fucking other guys because they're fucking other girls or exactly. they have in the past and they think that everybody's just as shitty as them or that it's normal. I That's one thing I've realized getting into my young 20s fucking majority of people i know are cheating on each other it's nuts it's scary it's scary as fuck it's and then no wonder people have trust issues yeah but two things i realized everybody's of cocaine and everybody cheats on each other that's your fucking 20s man it's nuts like it's but it's it's so sad because people don't understand the weight of that in the future mm-hmm. that, that, that you are doing to that person. Exactly. That is the most selfish thing I could ever imagine. And for 35 seconds to get a nut, you're going to fuck somebody up and their relationships for the rest of their life? On top of that, is it worth it, man? It, it, like, 
you're so valid what you just said, but let's get a little more again in depth with you if you were the cheater. Think about the drama and the guilt that you're gonna have to go through. Think about if if you're you, the um, the fear of your girlfriend finding out and the consequences with that. Is that worth it? Was she that hot? Like, or what? what you know what I mean? It's not. It's not. It's not like it shouldn't be. You're trying. A lot of the times, it's just you're trying to escape from your life. Well, it's you're, also, you're chasing a high. It's also instant gratification, right? And we yeah. talk about that all of the time. Like, fucking people give in to instant gratification so easily. And, oh, this is going to make me feel good right now. And I know there's consequences, but I don't want to think about that because I need this dopamine hit right now. That is such a fucking profound definition of what giving in to instant gratification causes long term. Oh my God, like you are going to, all of the negatives that we just talked about, personal and to the other person, for a fucking nut, that should not make any sense in your head. Exactly. That should not. And just, again. But you're in the moment and you want that dopamine. Going back to fulfillment, right? Going back to being happy. Going back to being fulfilled, your life being fulfilled. If you read anything about psychology, you understand that the more investment and you have into a goal or anything, the longer it takes, the more reward, right? Like best example, someone that was the greatest athlete on the planet growing up was, let's take football for example, number one recruit out of high school, went to Alabama, won the Heisman, and then he makes the NFL. Of course, it's gonna mean it's gonna mean a lot to him to make the NFL. How about the guy that came from nothing, bare, walked on in college, went undrafted, and then made a pro team? Who do you think is gonna get more fulfillment out of For that? For sure, one hundred percent. That's how our psychology works. The more hardships, the 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 less achievable the goal, the higher we strive for. And the more work we put in, the more fulfillment we get out of it. The more pain. Instant, the... Having those instant gratification, you're cheating yourself. Yeah. You're literally cheating your own psychology. Yes. You're, it's fucking, that's why it's literally you're just slapping that dopamine hit button. You're just slapping it repeatedly. And you're just like, give me, give me it now. Give me it now. Give me it now. And the consequences are piling up. Mm-hmm. But you don't realize that. And you're just like, nope, I need another hit. I need to feel good right now. I feel sorry for myself. Here's the thing. I've talked about this before on the podcast already, but your life is without suffering and it's necessary. You're always going to have suffering, but you have the ability to choose willful suffering. So I'm going to, I'm willingly going to choose to work out today so that in the future, I don't have to deal with diabetes or I don't have to deal with heart disease. I'm going to suffer through this thing that I don't want to do right now so that I don't have to deal with the pain and suffering later. That suffering's happening no matter what. It's happening no matter what. Pain is without, su- or sorry, life is without is with suffering always. Um, but you have the choice, and the ball's in your court. Modern wisdom. Chris Williamson said it today, and he talked about how he went a thousand days sober. I think he went a thousand. Yes. Holy shit. Yeah. So over just uh, almost three years, something like that. Dude, that's nuts. Good for him. He was never addicted to alcohol. Had nothing to do with that. And he, he, this guy's a, I don't know if you guys know him. He's a club promoter. He owns a club. 
how he thought of it as, and he doesn't, he's, he doesn't talk down alcohol, but what he goes is, I have goals in mind. When I drink alcohol, I suffer 24 hours of my day that I cannot be as productive as I could towards what I want. I've talked to you about this. I've literally talked it, about this. The like, podcast that hit me different. Because you think about it. We talk about time being so valuable. Drinking loses time. If you drink every weekend, you lose 52 days a year. Think about that. That you could be striving towards a goal. Think about that. If and you, if you, If you drink every other weekend, which is probably more realistic, you lose 26 days, 26, 24 hour periods that you could be working on your fitness, working on your business. It's not to say you should avoid drinking, but that's food for thought. And people will be like, how bad are your hangovers? It's not about that. It's you can function like being hungover, but are you feeling good? Are you thriving? Are you happy? Are you doing your best work? Exactly. Are you being so creative? How he looks at it is I, I'm prioritizing my business and my podcast right now, drinking something I just need to sacrifice because I value this more than that. Mm-hmm. I value that. I, I have the ability to go out to a club and leave at 1 p.m. and dr- sip on a club soda. 1 p.m. Damn. 1 a.m. Go to bed early, maybe not have the same type of high that night, but I can wake up the next day and feel good about it. And get the more fulfilling high of accomplishing something that you knew you wanted to accomplish and that you know is a key performance indicator of reaching your goal, which is actually the more fulfilling high. Mm -hmm. As well as something that I can relate to personally is relying on drugs and alcohol for confidence in social situations. You want to talk about confidence? It's a losing game. How about going to a club and having a great night and being able to bring high energy and laugh and have a silly goose time, as I like to say, and be 100% sober? Yeah. You want to talk about... Some, there will, I'm, I'll preface this. There will be people in the room that will look at you differently because you're not drinking. Those people... That what their intentions are, a lot of it will go like this. Wow, you're, not, you're too good to drink, eh? You're a little sober. The intentions behind those words are, I'm miserable. I want you to be down here with me. And the fact that you're improving hurts my ego. Yeah. So I'm going to try to drag you down and make you feel bad. I've been, dude, I've been in that position so many times. Over the last year, I have... There's been lots of times where I've just taken a month, two months off, like having drinks or doing anything. And there was even a four month period in the first lockdown. So many times I've been in that situation where people have looked, tried to look down on me and it was their own, they're just projecting their own insecurities and their own lack of drive on you because you're choosing to give something up for your, for your best interest. And here's the thing. It's socially acceptable to do it. Mm-hmm. We accept that as society. For sure. That if you don't drink, you're either a former alcoholic or there's something wrong with you. Yeah. Isn't that fucked? Yeah, but yeah. For sure it is. But it's also... But it's also... Uh, fuck. 
Honestly, fuck society. I don't, exactly. give, I don't give a shit what that's, society tells that's, me. That's a perfect example of people living by society's rules and not their selves. Exactly. And I have nothing... Because I, they're unhappy with themselves. And again, I, I do like drinking. I, 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 there, are, there are times where I love to let loose and, and the suffering I will have to do the next day is worth it. But if you're doing it every weekend... It's a habit and a routine. It's not a celebration. No, it's and not. And you are suffering 52 days out of your year for what? For what? For what? What do you get out of that? What do you get out of that? Nothing. You don't get anything. You, you, you have a great night with some people and you can have some drinks and get loose and talk you know, to people when you're celebrating something. But if you're just getting fucked up to get fucked up. Scott, you know what they're getting out of that. They're escaping reality for four hours. For sure, yeah. That's what they're doing. You should be using... This is like a famous quote from a Pink Floyd drummer after Sid Barrett, their lead guitarist. Um, he basically just did too much acid and he was um, no longer there. Like He was just no longer there uh, mentally. And the song, Wish You Were Here by Pink Floyd, a lot of people think it's about a woman. And they, a lot of, it sounds like it's about a girl that you've lost. And I wish you were still around. It's about Sid Barrett. The rest of the, the, rest of the Pink Floyd wrote that song saying, we wish you were here because Sid Barrett was no longer there mentally. He was so gone from all of the drugs. And there's a famous quote from the drugger. <laughs> there's a famous quote from the drugger, uh, the, the drummer of Pink Floyd. And he said, there's nothing wrong with acid. We all do it. The difference is we use it to enhance and Sid uses it to escape. Amazing. And that's super, super powerful. There's nothing wrong with doing drugs and doing alcohol. If you're using it to enhance your experience that you are already happy with not to escape the reality that you are unhappy with. So powerful. So powerful. Um, and again, it goes back to what we said before. Using social media, using just stimulus to distract yourself from reality. And not having... And it goes back to self-awareness. Right? Distracting yourself from having those thoughts. Distracting yourself from the reality of what is. And not being able to accept it. And, and just having to escape because you're not happy. If you could give, if you could give everybody listening to this podcast a step-by-step -step process to change their body and get the body of their dreams, what would that look like? Transform their physique. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Um, first things first, I would say resistance training. Three to four times a week, five max. I would say more for advanced lifters. Um, not even that. I wouldn't even say that. But I would say three to five times a week is good. If you want to look like a Ferrari, don't put in average gas. The more micronutrients you get from greens, the more protein, the more whole foods, good carbohydrates, good healthy fats that are loaded with micronutrients, the better you're going to feel. The better you're going to feel the better you're gonna train. Another thing, sleep. We don't put on muscle mass in the gym, right? We put stimulus on our muscles that causes damage and we recover it. And the majority of the recovery is from sleep and nutrition. We, we keep looking for this magic pill 
right? And we, we the BCAs, <laughs> the BCAs, the creatine, all these things. Oh, oh, this magic way to do a tricep extension where you you flex your elbow 45 degrees. Like, are you getting eight hours of sleep a night? Sorry. Are you getting eight hours of sleep a night, right? Are you recovering enough and are you fueling your body so that you can consistently progressive overload and add new stress to the muscle? Um, it depends where you are with your physique, right? If you're happy with your body fat percentage, um, my biggest recommendation, what I've been doing with my clients is, um, it comes from Craig Doucette, who's a very good coach, uh, main game. Mm-hmm. Find out what your maintenance level is, focus on your sleep, focus on as quality calories as possible, and train hard. Progressive overload, like I said, is new stress on the muscle, which means you're going to have to be uncomfortable. Just like anything would change. You want to change your body? You got to go through uncomfortable stages, just like resistance training. I told you, fitness is a blueprint for success in anything. Exactly. Um, and, uh, but if you are, uh, if you are not happy with your body fat percentage, go into a very, go and get into a calorie deficit, right? Burn more calories than you're taking in slow aim for again, one to two pounds per week aim for the long run, right? Um, and once you find a body fat percentage that you're happy with, then go back to maintenance and focus on your training. Focus on, um, feel what it's like to have all the energy in the gym and have the recovery. Mm-hmm. Um, Start to fall in love with that performance side of things. And it's, exactly. it's, a, it's a cheat code yes. for success with fitness. That's another thing is aesthetic goals are slow. Mm-hmm. They're slow. Yeah. You mm-hmm. can have performance goals and aesthetic goals at the same time. And not only that is they help each other. I think you need to. You need to, 100%. For, for best, best case scenario. So what that means is basically, say your main goal is weight loss, right? You want to lose 20 pounds. Pick something that you want to be able to do in terms of strength, right? Say you want to be able to do 135 on the bench press. Or you want to be able to do 10 push-ups from the floor, a pull-up, etc. Get a plan that's going <laughs> to create a plan that's going to over time get you towards that so you can focus on little progressions because you're going to see progress with your strength and towards that performance goal a lot quicker than you are with the aesthetic goals, which is going to keep you motivated to come back. You're going to get more positive experiences in the gym so that you'll be more motivated to come back. Yep. <laughs> I just shook my head rapidly. No, um, he's banging. I couldn't agree more. Two other things is with what I found with my coaching, with my clients, the most successful people, they have accountability and the environment that puts them. And it's funny. We, we use that for relationships. Just, just. That's what I mean. It's all comes full it's a circle. Blueprint. Yeah. If, if you want to eat less high calorie dense foods like desserts, fast food, etc. make it harder on yourself to do that. Get them out of your house. Delete Uber Eats. As well as have somebody to keep you accountable. Hire a coach. If you can't hire a coach, give a significant other 500 bucks. And if you don't hit your goal in this specific amount of time, they get to keep it. Hey, that's going to motivate the shit out of you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It is. It will. If you have accountability, 
if you have the environment and you have someone that, to guide you with the right steps towards it, so you're doing it optimally, you're going to see results. Yeah. Um, I actually have a question for you, Scotty. Yeah. What's the biggest mistake that you made in your fitness journey that, um, yeah, that's it, that you've learned from and you can help with your clients? Um, the biggest mistake I ever made in my fitness journey was dieting way too strictly, like way too strictly. Like I, I probably, I, so basically a little backstory. So I, in grade 12, I was like, I was pretty, I was just a chubby kid all growing up. I was always chubby. I was always overweight. I was always unhappy with my body. And in grade 12, I finished football. My last football season, I kind of had an identity crisis. I didn't really know what I wanted to do, and I needed to still have some sort of exercise. So I kind of started working out a lot more seriously. And then I started dieting, and I, underst- I started to understand calorie deficit and how to track my food and exercising five to six days a week. And I just got very serious about it, and I ended up losing 35 pounds. Sounds great, but what really happened during that 35-pound weight loss is a huge chunk of it, I was eating like 1600 calories a day. And I was 205 pounds when I started that diet. So it's so low that it was like very detrimental to like my health and my, I started just avoiding social events. I created a very unhealthy relationship with food. I developed binge eating tendencies for a while. Um, I lost a lot of muscle mass in the process. I felt like shit all the time. Like I would go into the gym, I'd get lightheaded. And it was great. It taught me a ton of lessons, but it had me spinning my tires for way longer than it should have. Like I really struggled with the consequences of that for a while. And that created this very like yo-yo effect. Cause after I finished that diet, I was shredded, but I probably gained 30 pounds over the next four months. And there's one massive thing that I forgot and your story kind of brought it up. And this might be the most important one. <laughs> Sustainability. Yeah. Sustainability. Exactly. And that's, that's you're, why it's my biggest mistake. You're, Every single person, especially in the fitness industry, what I find is they're going to tell you what works for them. And they, and if, because they're very narrow minded, some of them, some coaches, they're going to believe that everybody else should do that exact same thing. Couldn't be further from the truth. What habits, what environment, what accountability, how many days per week, when you're eating your meals are going to make the process of change the easiest possible and the most sustainable long-term. Exactly. And that's what I was, that's exactly what I was going to say. What I learned from that experience Mm -hmm. and why it was the biggest mistake is you, you're in this fitness thing. You can have short-term goals. You can say, I want to get shredded for summer. I want to deadlift this, whatever. You can have short-term goals, but you should be doing this for, with a plan to do it for the rest of your life. And you shouldn't have to uproot your entire life to fit a diet, you should make your diet fit your life and your lifestyle. And you should be able to go out for a beer with a buddy and you should be able to go to social Mm -hmm. events and eat the foods you love. And, and that's what dieting very aggressively looks like Mm -hmm. or or takes away. Sorry. And it makes your life hell and your life shouldn't, your life is more important than a six pack. Like you can still get a six pack, but do not 
develop a, a horrible relationship. That's like what we focus on when we're talking about athletes. That's literally the definition. You can put all of your energy into getting shredded and being like a monk with it, but everything else around you is going to suffer. So you need to, if you want to do a bodybuilding show, you need to, you need to be prepared for everything else to suffer. But if you're just trying to lose some weight, it doesn't have, you don't have to be a Nazi about it. Like Mm -hmm. it can be sustainable. It can be slow. It's really good transition to expectations for clients. I want to ask you a couple questions as well. Get your thoughts. How do you control your clients' expectations on what they can achieve? Well, I actually have with my online clients, I have a client expectations section and a coach expectations section. So wow, I literally, I literally outline what clients can expect from me and what I expect out of clients. And a part of that is like a part of that is having the conversation of what's realistic and what's not with some people. I don't need to talk about it because they're ready to do it slowly. And I can tell, and like I have a client intake form. I have a lot of questions when a client signs up with me that kind of weeds a lot of this out and my initial like FaceTime or call with them. But like my expectations Sorry, when I'm setting up my clients' expectations for what the process is going to look like, I tell them best case scenario and kind of like worst case scenario and how much homework is involved with those two outcomes. So best case scenario involves a lot of homework and a lot of consistency and a lot of effort from you that is achievable and you can do it, but you have to commit to it. it you have to work for that. It's It's... The outcome is great, but you have to earn that outcome. Worst case scenario is you're not going in any direction. You're just spinning your tires, and it's likely a result of you haven't been doing your homework. Mm -hmm. And I like to break it down in the homework setting because it is homework. Outside of when I'm talking to you, outside of when you're training with me in the gym, it's what you're doing seven days a week, 24 hours a day with your diet, your sleep, everything you just outlined you cannot expect a fantastic result if you do not put the homework in, right? You can't expect an A if you're not going to do your homework. Mm-hmm. So it's just, and it's just to set the stage because the worst thing to have is a client that expects these crazy results and they don't get them and then they blame you or they blame themselves and then they have no self-confidence. They don't believe they can achieve the goal and then it creates this negative feedback loop of I'm not capable of achieving it. Yes. At least when they don't achieve it, you've, you, they know why. Mm-hmm. I wasn't doing this. I wasn't yes. doing that. Amazing answer. And I absolutely love that expectations question mm-hmm. in your client pro or, um, uh, questionnaire form or mm-hmm. uh, I can't even talk right now it's in a separate <laughs> form but sorry guys having a stroke um <laughs> they're two separate forms but yes. yeah it's that's, it's, that's brilliant yeah. that's actually brilliant I didn't come um, up with it myself I got it from another great <laughs> another, I got it from another great online coach that's, that's absolutely I would never even think about it that. works very well it's just it's so relevant because and it gets back to what we were talking about of the values hierarchy your Instagram influencer that is shredded 365 just like the professional athlete his main value in life is looking good for the camera exactly that's what that's what they don't see they don't see the behind the scenes they don't see starving themselves they don't see 
the possible steroid use. I was going to say, they don't see the needles, yeah. Exactly. They don't see what's going on behind the scenes. And because it's so common on Instagram, they believe that everybody should have it. They also, they also, this is the one thing that drives me, sorry to interrupt, this is one thing that drives me insane, is that those guys and girls promote their programs <sighs> like they're going to look like them. Oh my it God. drives me fucking nuts. It's cr- so, okay, so I, I purge after every meal I eat so that I can look this lean. Like, fucking bulimia is so common in female fitness models, you would be astonished yes. with it. And hey, your fucking five-day push-pull leg split is not going to make me look like I'm on trend because <laughs> you're on trend. Like, that's the fucking thing. So the 16-year-old guy is looking at this dude who's been on gear for five years and being like, oh, if I run his program, I'll look like that. Mm-hmm. No, you won't because you're not taking steroids. It's, you're not fucking doing all of the things that he's not telling you about. And that's the most frustrating thing when you sell a product telling people that they can look this way if they take it when you know that there's no chance they will. You're just taking advantage you're of taking, uneducated people. You're taking advantage. Right? Which is not fair because... Fit tees and bullshit like and that. Like we, we take a look at the fitness industry and here's the thing. It's flooded with content. Let's be honest. It's flooded with content. As fuck. And in order to stand out, you have to be different. And that's why there's so much craze for keto. That's why there's so much craze for intermittent fasting. Can you believe there are intermittent fasting coaches? Oh, yeah. <laughs> hey, th- oh, yeah. there are coaches that you pay hundreds of dollars for to tell you not to eat in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> like, what? Dude, fucking... Hey, hey, they're the best hey. business people on the planet, man. Like, what? There's like, also... There's also, dude, there's intermittent fasting things. They were talking about on Stronger by Science that is based on your shoe size. <laughs> like, I am not kidding. What? I'm not kidding. It's literally based on your shoe size. So if you for men and women, size eight to ten, your eating window is from four p.m. as well. Essentially, yes. Oh that's, literally, that's literally what it is. Like what? There's, there's blood type intermittent fat. Oh, dude, this is my favorite. Dude, <laughs> oh, this is my favorite. There is one based on your fucking sign. Like your yeah, like like you're a Gemini, uh, so you fucking eating this. I'm not kidding. Like hey, are they gonna ask for girls' menstrual cycles next? <laughs> it's probably out there. Like you could probably go Google that right now. Like yes. uh, hey, in the luteal phase, you can only eat from 8 a.m. to 12 p.m. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If you're ovulating, eat all day, you fucking you need it. Like yes. what? Like there's also there's also I could talk about intermittent fasting for all day. There's another one that is, it's like a new name for it. And it's, you don't eat, you, it's like a 36 hour intermittent fasting thing. And I'm like, Hey, that's just not eating for an entire day. Like, it's like, it's literally like the breakdown is like you eat for like eight hours and you fast for 36 and like repeat that process or something. That's not very intermittent. You know what I was thinking? (laughs) It's a day and a half. Is... Tell people from the 1900s. Oh my god! About intermittent fasting. Hey, we're starving ourselves. And pe- people, are, hey, no, tell them that people are making thousands of dollars off of teaching other people how to starve themselves. I was thinking that I'm like, 
My great grandfather would fucking have explode. There's like, a reason why your grandpa and grandma always says, "Finish your plate." Yeah, because they yeah. didn't have food. They didn't know when their next for, meal would be. Exactly. And no, like, sorry, it, Grandpa. I'm intermittent fasting. <laughs> they would slap Shut up, Timmy. Like, what the fuck? Yeah, Timmy, eat your broccoli. Literally. Like, fuck. Yeah. It's, it's hilarious. I, hey, here's the other thing. I could shit on intermittent fasting all day. When I'm dieting, I use it. It's useful. <laughs> like, it's useful. Shortening your feeding window helps certain people, but there's nothing fucking special about it. Okay, intermittent fasting, all it is, it's a dieting Skipping technique. That's all it is. That says if you shorten the eating window, you're probably gonna eat less. Yeah, exactly. That's but, all it is. But some people don't. Like some people, shortening the feeding window makes them binge eat in exactly. that window. So it's just like anything else. It's like not eating, not eating carbs in the morning is good for some people. Eating three meals a day is good. Mm-hmm. Eating six meals is good mm-hmm. for another. Like this is kind of the point around diet. You need to figure out. You need to start with that basis of finding – I literally posted a video today about this. It's literally you need to find kind of what your maintenance is. You need to start with a deficit. You need to start with a surplus, whatever it is. And then you need to figure out what tactics make that the easiest and the most sustainable. That's a really simple That's literally it. I like that, you literally find your deficit and then it's trial and error to figure out the easiest way to accomplish mm-hmm. that. For some, that's intermittent fasting. For some, that's keto, whatever. We have opinions on those, yes. on those tools, yes. and we'll disagree with them. But if it works for you, it works for you. So an example of that would be I get a client that is not hungry in the morning, mm-hmm. that has been eating breakfast because hey, what, what's they've your shoe heard, size? <laughs> what they've heard is breakfast is the most imp- important meal of the day. Here's the thing with that saying. Do you know who came up with it? <laughs> Kellogg's. <laughs> they want you. To, they want yeah. you to buy your cereal. Yeah, I forgot about that. They, they literally want, did. Yeah. Like, there. It's a marketing point. Yes. They don't actually. There's no science behind it. It fucking worked. <laughs> Holy shit! It worked. Yeah. They fooled everybody. Right. Yeah. So, but again, if you are hungry in the morning, and you feel better with food in your stomach, for like throughout the day. And say if you try to skip breakfast, but you get home from lunch and you don't have enough time to cook food, so you just stuff your face with everything around you, intermittent fasting isn't going to work. Yep. It's not sustainable. That's the question you got to ask. And I just want to give an example to, no, that's... to what you said in terms of – you said the specifics in a very specific way and how a, a real-life example would be. No, that's exactly it, yeah. That's the thing. You can – it's – Exactly like what we just said. It's just like you need to figure out if it works for you, that's okay. And if it doesn't, it's also okay. Calories are what matters. Calorie deficit is what matters. You just got to find the tools to make that the easiest. Bingo. Um, What about clients that are not a fan of resistance training? Yeah. How do you approach that? Um, I've definitely dealt with it in the past and it's a little frustrating. It's like hard, it's hard to navigate at first. Um, but I basically just tell them the importance of it Mm -hmm. and I kind of make it a non-negotiable. Like I essentially, 
you can like you can hold their hand all they want and be like yeah running's great that's fine just do that six days a week but you're lying to yourself and you're giving up your values to get money exactly you're literally giving up your values to maintain a client because they're gonna pay you that's not that's not you need to stay true to that like we've talked about a thousand times in this podcast you should not be letting go of your values just to maintain mm-hmm. a client and lie to them if you truly believe that resistance training is important for every individual that wants to improve their fitness which it is mm-hmm. then you need to get every client resistance training so the way the way i approach it is hey i know you don't love resistance training we're gonna start with at least like two days a week we're gonna do two full body sessions a week it's two days that you're probably not going to enjoy the most but it's really important for maintaining muscle mass building muscle which is Mm going to make your dieting easier it's actually going to make your physique look better and more shapely especially as you diet so you're actually going to like your body more and you're going to be able to eat more because you have more muscle and that costs yes. more calories. So I outline all of the th- reasons why they need it. And then I say, unfortunately, with my coaching, this is a non-negotiable. You have to resistance train for best results and to make this process the easiest for you. And then from there, you start with two days and then you slowly try to add another day in as they get more comfortable with it. And here's what's likely. They'll probably start to love it. Maybe not love it, but they'll start to recognize the importance see, of it. See the benefits. Exactly. Yeah. I, I could not agree more. To me, two times a week is non-negotiable. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Eat your vegetables, man. Yeah. Like you might. You yeah. Know, it's your broccoli day. Right? Yeah. Like eat your vegetables. It's your broccoli training um, day. And where I want to transition that conversation is because with my clients, the biggest factor with not wanting to resistance train is being very uncomfortable in a gym setting. Yeah, for sure. And I'm not saying you can't do it at home, but going to be honest with the at home workouts, depending on the equipment you have available, it's not about, it is about the equipment. That's part of it. Of course you go to a gym, you're going to get far superior equipment. Um, a vast majority of equipment, the weights, a ton of subjective numbers to make sure you're improving, etc. But it's just the environment. Like when you go to the gym, you are going out of your way to make sure I'm in an environment that I'm going to work out in. How do you structure a conversation with your clients to make sure that they can overcome that fear of the gym? If I'm, am I working with them in person or online? Um, both. How and and tell me how you would. Um, <clears throat> go at it differently let's say in person first so in person i i have i have far less experience honestly in a box gym than you do Mm -hmm. so this is this will be better for you because my clients it feels very personal and they feel more comfortable but for the way i structure that conversation if they're uncomfortable in the gym setting i basically just tell them like you this is going to be uncomfortable at first and you're you feel anxious and you feel like you don't know anything, but I am here to teach you those things and I'm here to hold your hand. And I'll literally use that saying, like I am here to guide you through this process of teaching you the exercises and holding your hand along the way and making you feel comfortable and you're going to feel uncomfortable in this time and that's okay. It's the biggest thing with somebody who's uncomfortable in the gym is letting them know that it's normal to be uncomfortable. I'll point around the gym and be like, everybody on this gym floor was you at some point. Mm -hmm. Every single person was in the position that you are walking into the gym, not knowing how to do anything scared about it. Mm -hmm. That's normal. You're, it's going to feel uncomfortable now. 
three weeks from now, you're going to walk in this place and be like, I know where that machine is. I know how to do that. And you're going to start to identify, I like the leg press. I like chest press. You're going to start to find things that you feel comfortable with because maybe you were good at them at first or you felt strong in them or maybe I gave you some positive reinforcement. So on the days that I'm not with you, you can come in here and you can just do those things. Mm -hmm. Just do the things that you like and that you're familiar with. And if that means walking on the treadmill, that's fine at first. I actually love that. I love that because... Um, in terms of a programming perspective, right? The, the, some of the machines or the exercises they might not like might not line up with your program. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, if they're enjoying them yeah. and they're doing them more, that's you're going to see more results. That's all you should care about. I actually love that. That's I, all you should care. Because yeah. like you can get, you can, we've talked... You can write the best program in the world. It can be the best program with the best periodization and everything is to a T and it's science-based and you're so proud of it. If that person doesn't want to do it, it's fucking useless. It doesn't mean anything. Mm -hmm. If my client goes in and just does biceps for 30 minutes, but they're starting to fall in love with the gym because of that, because they like getting a pump and they're starting to identify as somebody that goes to the gym and they're starting to change their life as a result, that person's probably going to work out for years. Instead of giving that person that insanely quality program, they do it twice and they're like, oh, this is what working out is. This is what going to the gym is. And that's the only reference point that they have for training. Mm -hmm. That person is unlikely to want to come back to the gym. So you tell me what's a better option, right? That's a, that's a brilliant point. Brilliant point. Um, I, the analogy I always use is everyone's their own main character in their own movie. Mm -hmm. And because the common saying is, I feel like everyone's staring at me and I don't know what I'm doing. And I say, that's how everyone else is feeling. Mm -hmm. Like there's a, a very few minority of people that actually can like read the whole gym and go, yeah, this guy, it doesn't really know what he's doing, etc. Yeah. And here's the thing. They're so advanced that they're focused on their own shit yeah. because it means something to yeah. them. They don't care. They actually go, hey, good for you. Yeah. The, like, the, pe you. the people that are actually confident in the gym and who you look at and are like, wow, they really know what they're doing could care less about you not knowing what you're doing. If anything, they're just going to be like, good for him. They're focused on their own shit. Yeah. And they're like, and if they do have an issue with you. That's on them. That's projection. I, Going back to what we said before, it's projection of their own insecurities. Exactly. Yeah. Um, it's it's and like I said, it, there's going to be uncomfortable first. You don't know what you're doing. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It's a new setting. Just like the first time you were in a nightclub, you see all these people you don't know, right? And there's all these flashing lights, loud music. You're probably not the. You're probably maybe a little excited. I don't know if that's the best best example to use. But you're also probably a little nervous. For sure. You know? But again, the more times you go to the club, the more comfortable you get there. Yeah, 100%. Um, um, online, it's essentially the same thing. Like, I just try to have that conversation with them as much as possible. Mm -hmm. But there's also a disconnect there because I'm not in the gym with them. It's, it's harder. It's harder online. And unfortunately, training clients that are that beginner online, it's a, it's a tough undertaking. It's a very mm -hmm. tough undertaking. You need to have some level of comfort with the gym at first. It's not impossible and I've done it, but it's usually also not the people that are reaching out for like 
online training, you get that very rarely. Those people are getting personal trainers in person more and yes. more. If they're going to get coaching, they're going to want to have somebody actually show them through the gym. So that makes yeah. sense. All right, dude. We should probably wrap it up. Let's wrap it up. That was know. amazing, dude. Yeah, that was really good. First podcast experience. Wasn't First that, podcast Wasn't that experience. bad. That's how, no. That was a fantastic conversation. Yes. You guys better enjoy that. That is packed full of value. Mm-hmm. Packed to the brim. Um, Nate, nice. where can they find you? What do you want to say last? Um, Closing statements. You can find me on Instagram at NateWhitPT. Um, Anything you want to promote? Keep growing. That's it. Literally, just keep investing in yourself. Keep growing. That's all I ask. I love it. It's the best investment you'll make. Pays in dividends long term. Yeah. All right. Thanks for listening. I appreciate it. If people are actually listening, this is huge. Um, And I'll see you for the next episode. Cheers.